Please follow along as I read to you from Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to your acts of charity. Tell the truth. I tell you the truth. They have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly in the street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth. That is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to give others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And when you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for fasting. I tell you the truth, that that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father, who knows what you do in private. And your father, who sees everything, will reward you. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you, worship team. It's great to worship together this morning. We've been doing these messages, a series of messages from uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and we're continuing that this morning. Just to give a quick review and overview of where we've been, we have completed chapter 5, and if you have a Bible there in front of you or your electronic device with the scriptures on it, invite you to turn to that. Chapter 5, the first part was the Beatitudes, and I indicated that for me, as I understand it, it's really kind of a summary of what it means to be converted. It's the process of, of conversion, where we begin by uh, recognizing that we have uh, come short of the glory of God and that uh, we need his mercy. And when it says blessed, it's basically saying this is how God blesses us in the process of conversion. Then out of that verses uh, comes the focus where Jesus says, because of that transformation which has taken place in you, you now become the, the salt of the earth and the light of the world, and you have an impact on the world around you because of that transformation which has taken place. Following that, he says that I didn't come, Jesus says, to, to get rid of the law, but to fulfill it. 
And he begins to help us to understand the nature of the law and what its purpose is for us. And he basically is saying that the, the law is not uh, the, the source of righteousness. That comes by the gift of God through salvation. But it is the course of righteousness. In other words, it, it guides us in the way that we ought to live. And then Jesus says six different times, you've heard that it's been said, but I say unto you, and then he looks at the, the real heart of the issue in terms of the law, where he speaks about the fact that it comes from within and not from without. And so now we come to chapter six, and in chapter six, there's a bit of a shift because he now is looking more uh, at our spiritual disciplines what it is that we do to strengthen our spiritual life and our spiritual authenticity. And in chapter 6, as he looks at those, he really says that there are two things that can hinder us in our, in our relationship with the Lord and with the authenticity of our spiritual life. And the first, of course, is in the first half of chapter 6, where he's talking about the, the text that Nicole read for us, where it is dangerous for us to appear to be spiritual and to try to gain approval from others by doing our spiritual disciplines in a public show. And uh, the first part of the chapter says that these three spiritual disciplines, the discipline of giving, of giving alms, of prayer, and of fasting are where we find this danger. Giving alms is giving to serve others. Prayer is our seeking after God. And fasting is a kind of a discipline for ourselves. But the text is essentially saying we can do these things and it can be worthless to us because if we do them in the wrong way, and we'll look at that this morning. The second half of chapter 6 deals with another challenge to our spiritual authenticity, and that is that we can't really trust the Lord. We want to trust ourselves. And we desire to secure ourselves by the means of material goods. In other words, we can't really trust the Lord, so we gotta, you know, we got to have a big bank account. Uh, we can't really trust the Lord because we worry about uh, what we're going to eat or what we're going to drink or how we're, what we're going to wear. And that becomes a challenge in terms of spiritual authenticity. We'll look at the second half of this text uh, in chapter 6, verses 19 through 34, in a couple of weeks. We're going to be looking this morning at the first one in chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. So the question for this morning is, who are you trying to impress? Who do you want to know your relationship with the Lord? Who do you want to see you as a spiritual individual? Do you want to be a celebrity where everybody knows you and the way in which you're, you're living out your life? Or do you want the Lord to know that? Do you want to be a saint or do you want to be a celebrity? All too often, we want to be a celebrity because we get our, our sense of self-worth if people know us and are giving accolades to us that makes us feel like we are worth something. And that's the temptation that we have as we work out our spiritual disciplines. So let's look at the text this morning. Again, I'll read the same material that 
Uh, Nicole read for us, but I'm reading it from the NIV. So follow along, chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues or on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that you will... uh, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The first verse really is the overarching essence of what Jesus is trying to say. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. Now that's a contrast to what he said in chapter 5, verse 13, where he said, you are the light of the world and let your light shine so that people may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And now he's saying, don't do your righteousness before men. What's the, dis- what's the deal here? What's the disconnect? Well, one of us, is, they're each direct, uh, addressing a different temptation that we have. The first one, let your light so shine before men so that they can see your good deeds. He's addressing our danger, the danger of us being cowardice and not being willing to step forth and show with confidence what Christ is doing within our lives. In the second one, he's addressing a second temptation, and that is the temptation of pride. We are to show... When we're, tempted, when we're tempted to hide. And we're to hide when we're tempted to show. In John chapter 12, verse 42, Jesus addressed the fact that there were those who were uh, hearing his teaching, but were hesitant about sharing or even following him. It says, they would not confess their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they love the praise of men more than the praises of God. It's easy for us to try to hide our lamp under the bushel, but the scriptures make it abundantly clear that we live confidently with what Christ is doing in our life and let it out, let it shine. But if we get to the point where we get cocky about that, and think that this is something which is coming from us rather than from the Lord, then he says, you better stop. If you're trying to be a celebrity, you need to back away. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, says, there is, of course, a proper ground for insisting on the visible nature of Christian discipleship. But the visibility is never an end in itself. If it becomes so, we've lost sight of our primary aim, which is to follow Jesus and to glorify him. He refers to the hypocrites in the synagogue. And he says that 
There are those who uh, announce with trumpets, uh, as, the uh, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the street. There's a danger of being driven by pride in our efforts to be charitable to others. We not only want to be seen as spiritual, but we want to be seen as spiritual by others and be more spiritual than others. We can even betray, portray a false sense of humility, wanting others to notice our humility. We can be like the Pharisees, and as it says in the text, they had the announcement with trumpets. We have this saying, you can go ahead and toot your own horn. I think it might come from this text. When we do acts of kindness, acts of charity, giving alms in such a way that it calls attention to ourselves, we have, as the text said, already had our reward. There's nothing left. We can give for the wrong reasons. We can give with the intention of impressing people. When I was in seminary at Trinity Seminary, Mary worked for the development department. And she very quickly realized that it was much easier to get people to give if they were giving to something tangible. Uh, to give uh, affluent people the opportunity to name a building on campus, uh, you could raise money with that. Uh, or, you know, if there were some piece of equipment that you could put a, a, a brass plate on saying, you know, give and buy, uh, people were much more ready to give in those kind of circumstances. But when you tried to raise money for a trust fund to pay the janitors or to do lawn mowing, uh, it was much more difficult to get the money raised. People were giving for the wrong reasons. I heard recently of a church that had a beautiful, beautiful communion table. And you know, on most communion tables in the front it says, uh, do this in remembrance of me because the communion table is designed as a place where we remember uh, the Lord and the, uh, the Last Supper. Well, this beautiful table had a brass plate on it, give it in, remem in, remember in memory of so-and-so. And when the pastor realized what, what that was, he insisted that that plate got removed because he saw it as sacrilege to think that you put a brass plate on a table in memory doing this in remembrance of me. People can give useless stuff. I remember oftentimes when uh, there are all kinds of stuffed animals that are given. And oftentimes it's more for the giver than the one who is receiving. Teresa of Calcutta once said, Pray for me that I may not loosen my grip on the hands of Jesus, even under the guise of ministering to the poor. Then Jesus goes on and he says, Don't let your... Uh, Left hand know what your right hand is doing. How's that work? I don't think that's possible for the right hand not to know what the left hand is doing if they're all being driven by the same brain. So what is Jesus getting at here? Uh, perhaps he's talking about a couple of things. One, he might be talking about the fact that when you give, you give spontaneously. 
so that, you know, there's not a sense of having to think it through. It comes from a genuine, spontaneous response of the heart. If we give self-consciously and deliberately, sometimes we can be giving self-consciously, and self-conscious giving can quickly turn into self-righteous giving. We say, don't break your arm patting yourself on the back. In other words, don't be giving out gifts by one hand and you know, congratulating yourself with the other. Stan Gundry in his commentary says, a gift should be slipped unobtrusively to the receiver with the right hand alone, not offering with both hands as designed to attract attention by others. In other words, it, he says you, you, you can subtly give, but if you're using both hands, you're trying to make a point and let others know what you're doing. Jesus says, and then if you do it the correct way, you will receive a reward. Does that make Christianity mercenary? C.S. Lewis says, we must not be troubled by unbelievers when they say that this promise of rewards makes the Christian life a mercenary affair. There are different kinds of rewards. There's the reward which has no connection with the thing you do to earn it and is quite foreign to the desires that ought to accomplish, accompany those things. For example, money is not the natural reward of love. Money is not the natural reward of love. That's why when a man uh, is called mercenary when he marries for money. But marriage is the proper reward for real love. And it's not mercenary for desiring marriage as a reward for love. The proper reward are not simply tacked on to the activity from which they are given, but they are activities itself in consummation. In other words, when we give in a proper kind of way, we experience a reward which is in keeping with what we have done. So this is the first one of these spiritual disciplines that Jesus addresses. And then in verse 5, he moves on to the second. But when you pray... Let's read the, the text there in verse 5 through 8. But when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus addresses this issue of the spiritual discipline of prayer from two perspectives. In these verses, verses 5 through 8, he does so from a negative perspective, how we are not to be. And then, in giving the example of the Lord's Prayer in verses 9 through 14, he gives us the positive example. 
This morning we're going to look at the negative example, and then next week we will dive into the positive example by looking at the, the Lord's Prayer. The positive example is in chapter 5, verses 9 through 15, but we're going to look at verses 5 through 8 for a few moments this morning. He says, the hypocrites like to pray in public. Jesus is not here saying that uh, we cannot pray in public. He's addressing not where we pray, but the spirit in which we pray. We know, for example, in the book of Acts, that the early Christians devoted themselves to public prayer. Many people fear praying in public, and we ought not to fear that. We have confidence that we go before the Lord. It's not where we pray, but it is how we pray. And so Jesus is telling his disciples that they are to pray to him alone, an audience of one, rather than looking for the acclaim of others. That doesn't mean that we don't think through what we pray. Oftentimes, we slip into what Jesus is talking about when he talks about the pagans and their babbling. He says, prayer is not about words. It's not a magic formula. And so sometimes we do begin to repeat things, even as evangelicals, we kind of get into this thing where we use pet phrases and pet words over and over again. Or sometimes we're even trying to tell stories and report to others around us as we're praying. And Jesus says, that's, that's not what we're about when we pray. The babbling, prayer is not about words. Remember back in the Old Testament when the book of 1 Kings chapter 18 where Elijah and the prophets of Baal had the contest about bringing fire down on the altar to demonstrate the, who was really authentically God. And the prophets of Baal were given the first chance to pray and they, they went and... Elijah started making fun of them as they did their babbling around the, uh, and, and chanting around the, uh, uh, the, the sacrifice because uh, they weren't getting an answer. And he uses some crude terms in suggesting that perhaps their God is off doing something to relieve himself. And, uh, but when Elijah comes, he just steps forward and prays and prays directly to his Father in heaven, and he is re rewarded. It is easy sometimes for us to use prayer as a way of trying to be a celebrity. Jesus says, go off and pray by yourself and have an audience of one and you will be rewarded. Next week, we'll look at the Lord's Prayer itself and how we, how we should pray. The third discipline that Jesus addressed begins in uh, verse 16. It's the issue of fasting. Verse 16, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, pull, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only your Father in heaven who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Notice, first of all, how he introduces this. Verse 16, when you fast, not if you fast. Fasting is just like the other two disciplines that Jesus addressed in this text, uh, 
It's on parallel with it. It's the same. We expect that as believers, we're going to be generous and be charitable and giving, uh, giving alms. And then we're also uh, pretty much confident that we are going to be involved in prayer. And as much as prayer and charity are considered Christian practices, so also is fasting. There's a real need, I believe, for us to recover the spiritual discipline of fasting. And I would submit to you that as a body of believers, Grace Point is at a point where the exercise of fasting would be a, a discipline to be recovered as you think about calling for a new lead pastor. That you spend some time in prayer and in fasting as a way of anticipating and calling for God to move in finding the right pastor. Jonathan Edwards, the Puritan divine, when he was uh, here, uh, said of the preachers of his day, although they recommend and much insist on the duty of secret prayer in their preaching, so little is said about the, se the secret fasting. It is a duty recommended by our Savior to his followers. Though I don't suppose secret fasting is to be practiced in a, is a, in a stated manner and as steady as secret prayer. Yet it seems to me, says Jonathan Edwards, that it's a duty that all professing Christians should practice and practice frequently. We live in a self-indulgent world and we live self-indulgent lifestyles where we deny ourselves very little or nothing. We think we're in trouble if we miss a meal. We worship at the shrine of the golden arches. I've discovered that I can almost eat half of what I currently eat and still maintain my weight. Of course, fasting is not about losing weight. Fasting is about worship. It's to help us to remember and to recognize that every good and perfect gift comes down from our Heavenly Father. And that includes all of the gifts that sustain our lives. In Zechariah chapter 7, verse 4, Zechariah writes, When you fasted and mourned, was it really for me that you fasted? John Wesley wrote, Let it be done unto the Lord with our eyes singly focused on him. Let our intentions herein be and this alone, to glorify our Father which is in heaven. Why do we fast? We fast for a variety of reasons. We fast to bring glory to our Heavenly Father. Perhaps it's a time when we need to repent and to seek God's forgiveness. Perhaps it's a time when we are seeking the Lord's direction, as it would be as we think about finding a new lead pastor. Perhaps it's simply coming to recognize that we are out of control and we simply need to recognize that our de dependence is upon the Lord and we exercise a, a time of fasting to acknowledge that we are dependent upon him. Perhaps it's simply to be obedient because the Lord calls us to fast. Perhaps it's simply to co uh, control our physical appetite so that we can enhance our spiritual appetite. It's interesting, as you go through the book of Acts, there are several times when the early church was looking for leadership and they, it was 
uh, indicated that they spent time in prayer and fasting. Acts chapter 13, where Paul and Barnabas were selected by the church in Antioch to be sent out on their missionary journey. In Acts chapter 14, verse 2, it says that they spent time in prayer and in fasting, anticipating who they would select. And then they selected Paul and Barnabas to be sent out. In Acts chapter 14, verse 23, after Paul and Barnabas had gone through Asia Minor and started the churches, they went back. And it says in verse 23 of Acts chapter 14, before they selected the elders, they spent time in prayer and in fasting. I would encourage that we as a body, not to make a show, that's not what Jesus is saying here, not to you know, be calling attention to ourselves, but that we prayerfully and quietly uh, from time to time spend time in fasting. Jesus says in this text that when you fast, you put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting. Washing your face and putting oil on your head was a practice that was done when it was time to celebrate, when it was a festive time. Our face is to be reflective of the joy that we experience as we fast, recognizing the blessing and the relationship that we have with the Lord. Washing your face and anointing with oil were acts to be done in preparation of celebration. So who are we trying to impress? We're we trying to impress those around us about our deep spirituality and our deep walk with the Lord. Or are we trying to really have an intimate one-on-one -on -one relationship with our Heavenly Father? Are we trying to live lives as saints? Or are we trying to draw people around us and call them that we would be celebrities? We're to practice these spiritual disciplines of giving, of prayer, and of fasting. We're to do those, but we're to remember that we do all that we do in these disciplines for an audience of one. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for reminding us again that you want that intimate, deep relationship with you. And that you call us to give to others. You call us to be involved in a conversation with you through prayer and to recognize our dependence upon you through fasting. But to do it in such a way that it doesn't call attention to ourselves, but brings glory to you. So we pray, Father, that you would help us to exercise these disciplines in a way which is pleasing and honoring to you and not bring attention to ourself. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.